You see, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you did. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's edition of the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we're in the uh, second segment uh, of the first hour, and we're going to connect our guest in a minute. Uh, We've got her on the line. But uh, before we do that, I just wanted to introduce this week's shout poll from 21st Century Wire. And uh, this week's shout poll is, is the U.S. pushing the world towards an all-out war over their games in Syria? Now, that might seem like a, new, a no-brainer uh, for most people, uh, but as we uh, discuss these topics on a weekly basis, they're all no-brainers. They're becoming no-brainers, and if they aren't no-brainers, then you need to go look for your brain. Uh, that's this week's shout poll. So there's a there's a link in the show page to the shout poll. Go and vote. We've got a few people already weighing in. Vote and comment uh, in the poll widget. Uh, this is a unique uh, poll widget and uh, interactive uh, social engagement technology that we've developed with Square Offs, and we're very proud of it. Uh, there's a number of major polls that we've run over the last couple of years. You've probably been involved in some of those. Uh, this is building our own consensus reality here at 21st centurywire.com that's our shout poll for this week is the u.s driving the world towards an all-out war over their funny games in syria go ahead and vote have your shout do share that on facebook and twitter you can it's a social media share uh facility on that each of those polls so go ahead and you can spread those around get your friends to engage in the debate within the poll widget itself right now our next guest uh is an author, uh, a researcher, and uh, she's a co-editor of State of Surveillance and also uh, the uh, founder of Biometric in Schools uh, blog, and her name is uh, Pippa King. Now, we've had Pippa on past shows. Uh, it's been a while since we've had her on, but she's uh, been working on some new uh, material lately, and if you're not familiar with Pippa's work, we've got links to it on the show page uh, just below her name and also on the article, which is up on 21st Century why right now the title of that article is millimeter microwaves and artificial intelligence scanning humans in public these are all in the name of anti-terror uh, or so we're told uh pippa are you there yes patrick hello thank you for having me on no it's great great to have you on as well to say hello to mike robinson here in studio hi mike you're right hi pippa right so so pippa um the what what we're talking about here in uh, in this uh, this particular article uh, with regards to millimeter microwaves, I want you to explain uh, to people uh, that's uh, to our engineer. Yeah, that sounds much better. I think that was the problem we had before was that knob. <laughs> um, so sorry about that. Uh, okay. Inside baseball now, Pippa millimeter microwaves. Okay, the reason this is relevant for me, uh, I've just been traveling. I've done a few trips. Uh, across the Atlantic uh, recently, and uh, I'm always asked to go through the full body scanner. And uh, each time I always have a nice chat with the security 
people there and they always want to know why I don't want to go through the full body scanner. And they always, and what they have a can line, Pippa, which is, uh, and I'm sure you're aware of this, uh, the can line is, hey, um, we only use millimeter microwaves. It's perfectly safe. And this is told to me every single time without fail by every single TSA agent. Every time I opt out of the body scanner. So what say you, Miss King? I would, I would say that any sort of um, microwave or even sort of radio frequency that we get exposed to is, is not conducive to our bodies at all. I mean, we got told that cell phones were safe for us, and now there's more and more research coming out. Undoubtedly, they're not. But this particular um, type of millimeter microwave scanner is working uh, on an ultra-wideband wavelength, which is 75 to 110 gigahertz. Uh, it is the same technology that's used in the TSA scanners in the States when you walk through it. Those scanners can give a fairly detailed picture of the human form, which there's been quite a lot of controversy about. What's being developed since 2004 in the UK at Manchester Metropolitan University is uh, the same sort of microwave scanner frequency, but to be uh, beamed basically at a crowd. So rather than people walking through scanners, this, this frequency will, will get sort of uh, beamed out on a crowd of people up to a range of about 40 meters or so. And uh, it will not give the type of images that a TSA scanner in the States would give. I think that would just be, be terrible. I mean, the scanners in the States are terrible, and I don't blame you for opting out of going through them, Patrick, for, for a whole host of reasons. But what they have developed at Manchester Metropolitan University is an artificial intelligence to check whether or not the, the people in the crowd are carrying weapon-sized objects, weapon-shaped objects, uh, suicide vests, and whether it can pick out persons of interest or threat alerts to human operators who would then go and sort of take that to the next stage. But ultra-wideband uh, radiation, which this is, is interesting because it can give a very detailed 3D uh, imagery or detail of what, what, what it is they're looking at. So you can use it for ground penetration. Um, the American military have um, thought about using it to sort of see inside buildings. Certainly, um, I've read an article that the Chinese military uh, are using ultra-wideband radio frequency to look inside buildings. And it's, it's so sophisticated, it can actually detect whether or not uh, people in there are breathing, so whether you've got dead bodies in there or alive people. And I think this type of technology is... As with biometrics, it's a tool. And then maybe an earthquake scenario or a disaster scenario where you are looking for humans that are alive or human-shaped objects, then it's great. But it's ubiquitous. We don't know this is being used on us. And as far as I know, globally, this um, particular type of technology is planned on being used on the public in the UK, and that hasn't been used anywhere else anywhere in the globe, not even on a military level. The uh, American Department of Defense and U.S. Naval Labs are interested in this product that this university has developed. But it's, it's not really even being used in a wartime scenario. Uh, but it's interesting that this, this particular company that's developed it in conjunction with Manchester Metropolitan University called Radio, Radio Physics Solutions is uh, working with the London Metropolitan Police to trial it, I suppose, on, on the public in London. So... Uh, if you go to the article on 21st Century Wire, there are two pictures of a handheld device uh, from Radio Physics Solutions and um, a tripod device. So 
all I can say to people in London is if you be vigilant, if you see any of these devices around, I would certainly like to know about it. But if you're wondering what they are, that's what's being used on you. And I would suggest that you would step out of the range of that and go and stand behind it. Because we don't know how safe millimetre microwave technology is. So certainly, I don't think, has been any reports that it's not safe. But uh, funnily enough, uh, DARPA, the Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, we're working on the 95 gigahertz range, and that's within the 75 to 110 gigahertz flash of ultra-wideband that this particular system uses uh, on something called an active denial system, where they would beam 95 gigahertz onto a human, and it would basically heat up the water under your skin to the point where it would it would be extremely painful, and then you would move out of the way. So they were looking at this particular type of system to disperse crowds or tar target individuals um, to do, basically to hurt them. And that's within, that's a weaponized um, radio frequency that's within this uh, wavelength. So um, it just remains to be seen, really. But as I say, this is groundbreaking because if we can't bear arms, which obviously you, you can in the United States, or I even have the ability to do it undetected, that puts us as a, as a population, I think, in a very dangerous situation where we're not able to res physically resist any sort of um, oppression put on us by governments or, or defence forces. But also, so where does it stop? Will, will we see this sort of technology built into the city infrastructure, maybe into lampposts or within CCTV systems? And where, where do you stop? Do you, start, do you look into people's cars to see what they're carrying around with them? Can you aim it to look in their bags? It's, it's, it sort of um, puts us, I think, at a very serious, serious disadvantage. And, and it's an invisible technology. We don't know it's being used. So I, I'm, I'm certainly going to keep an eye on this. But one of the reasons this particular technology came, to, came across my board because I was looking at facial recognition, smart cities, and CCTV camera systems. And there was a little um, article that I picked up on um, for the Smart Cities London showcase that happened in March this year. And I was looking at a company called Sequester. And from time to time, I'll do uh, an internet search on them because Sequester are a company that claims to make dumb CCTV smart. So it, any analog systems or different varying uh, variations of digital systems, they will take footage, make it into, a, into a, the same format and so that then police and security agencies can basically have access to all the private CCTV they want, plus the public space television, to sort of hook up and, and have a look and trace people across the city. Now, at the moment, Sequester can only work with historical CCTV footage. They can't do it in real time, whereas Radio Physics Solutions operates in a real-time scenario. These two companies are working together to create a real-time CCTV and uh, millimeter microwave technology so that they can uh, identify somebody that may be carrying a weapon and then basically follow them across the city or through the network of ANPR cameras and track them, basically. And that's the vision of these two companies working together with the Metropolitan Police. So this is what we've got coming down the line. Uh, and, I, and I, for one, it's terrifies me because I've got children and I want them to live in a free society where you, where you can <laughs> be private. And, and the combination of these two technologies is, is really not looking good for that in the next few years. 
And you know that 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 is the bottom line, uh, Pippa. It's about it's about being free. And yeah. uh, when, when I stood when I stood off to the side, and I, I just look at the amount of people who are queuing up to walk through the full body scanner, and I and I watch every time, and it just always amazes me. Um, and people always ask because I'm always, they they stick you off to the side, and I'm sort of half blocking the line, and 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 this sort of queue forms behind me, and people and I and I have to say periodically I'm not in line for that. I'm waiting for my personal guy to come, and uh, and pat me down, and they they have no idea most of what I'm doing, and it's I don't know. I see pregnant women going through there. I see elderly women going through there. I see little children with mm-hmm. with a rag doll in one hand, and holding up their, you know, holding up their arms to be scanned, and and then I look at the agents have no problem with this because they're just doing their job, okay. Mm-hmm. And there's some, but there's something wrong with this picture. This is like uh, it's like it's like the world has been lobotomized uh, because of this the perceived threat of terror. And when you study terrorism as much as I have over the years, to know that most of these terror cells have the hidden hand of either the secure, security services or some intelligence agency from some country uh, manipulating them from behind. Okay, then I, then I see the whole. This this whole zero sum game, you know, in front of my eyes, where the only person who's benefiting is the one who's manufacturing that scanning machine. At the end of the day, and so you know, I I should have we should all have a choice. Do you want to be scanned or not? Th- that that's a fundamental question. Do you want to be a slave, or do you have any freedom left? Do you have any privacy left? Because privacy equals freedom to to many people. But the soon will come a day, Pippa. Where that concept of privacy and freedom will be dissipated to the point where people won't even remember when that ever existed. Well, this is why I got involved in 2004. Uh, my, my children were then six and seven years old, and they were going to be fingerprinted for a school library system so they could just walk in the library, put their fingerprint on a scanner, and walk out again. At that age, I think that sends a really subtle psychological message to children that it's okay to give up that level of bodily data in order to get a book out which is knowledge or in order to eat buy food at canteen or in order to register or log into something because you don't need to give that sort of level of knowledge and the biometric industry had been in the UK since 2001 fingerprinting children in schools without telling parents about it because under our data protection act Biometric data is not considered sensitive and therefore the schools didn't need to ask for parents' permission in order to process a child's fingerprints or fingerprint data, digital fingerprint data. So I, I, I sort of campaigned along with other parents and privacy orgs to, uh, potentially I wanted to change the Data Protection Act so that that biometric data was included in the sensitive personal information part. But in actual fact, we managed to get a clause in the Protection of Freedoms Act, which was passed in 2012, where schools cannot process biometric data unless the consent of a parent is, is sought. If another parent doesn't consent for it, that overrides the consent of the parent. And actually, the child cannot consent as well, and that would override any consent the parent has. And that's interesting because that's the first law globally on a national level that that's come in. But it's, it's all about the same thing, Patrick. I want my kids to have privacy. And for example, in Edinburgh, 
the CCTV system there, the public space CCTV system is currently being upgraded and a company called Cognitech has the contract to for all their ICT systems and upgrading the CCTV network. And Cognitech also have the capability of running facial recognition software behind the CCTV, and this is what Edinburgh City Council in Scotland are proposing. And one of the local councillors actually said, you know, we have a lot of protests in Edinburgh, it's where the Scottish Parliament is, and effectively sort of suggesting that we can, we can see who's protesting, we can see who the dissidents are, we can um, flag them up as persons of interest. Mm. and basically follow them through the CCTV network, which is much like the system they have in Glasgow, which is called suspect search. <laughs> so it's not, and, the, and the, city, the city councils will sort of say, oh, it's to find missing children and vulnerable adults and people with dementia. <laughs> but, but the clue's in the, clue's in the name, suspect search, isn't it? <laughs> you know? people, with de- uh, people with dementia, really. <clears throat> so that's, uh, <clears throat> that's half the uh, Scottish Parliament then. Missing somewhere in, in 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 a pub somewhere in Edinburgh, right? I don't know. But it's essentially the street furniture is still staying the same. So we're still seeing the level of CCTV cameras that really nobody's. We've all become uh, desensitised that over the past two or three decades. Um, but the software that's running behind it is is not not as it was even two or three years ago. And if Sequester can uh, make and work in real time, done TV smart, CCTV smart, then uh, public space television or CCTV, or, or let's call it what it is, it's IPTV, it's Internet Protocol Television, so it's all done on a Wi-Fi network, um, is only about 6 to 8% of the cameras that we have in the UK. So it would be a gift for the police and the security services to be able to hook up to the other 90-odd percent of private surveillance systems that there, there are, to give a completely blanket usage of or access to the CCTV systems, um, and they wouldn't have to pay for that. <laughs> Those systems are already set up. They're already operating. This company would, would purportedly give them access to the real-time Im- images of those 90 other plus sent systems. And in conjunction with Radio Physics Solutions, uh, they, like I said earlier, you know, they can tell or program the system to sort of, are they carrying anything of threat? Now, interestingly, Radio Physics Solutions and Sequester are both funded by a company called Anglo Scientific. And Anglo Scientific, that's, mm-hmm. nice, that's a very nice, nice name, isn't it, Mike? Anglo Scientific. It sounds like a nice name. Um, Pippa, uh, one of the, sorry, I'm. I'm Jumping in a little bit, but one of the things that uh, that fascinated me about what you said a moment ago is, of course, uh, the retort from from the uh, people that would be pro this idea is, well, well, one of the retorts might be, well, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. This would be a typical political response. Um, but it seems to me that uh, in, in everything that you've said so far, um, it's not clear uh, that there is a, why they, you know, what the justification. Uh, for all this is, the, the, and I'm really talking about how ubiquitous this is becoming. Um, there's no, it's not clear. They haven't really sold it yet, other than the, the terrorist threat. Uh, they haven't really sold uh, the need. Because cr- crime rates are, are, are dropping in some places, right? Right. So you'd think. But, but even if yeah. you look at the, at the terrorist threat, what, what actually is the threat 
how many people are killed and injured by terrorism in the Western world each year. It, the threat is basically non-existent. Even at the height of the Northern Irish Troubles, the threat in, uh, was basically non-existent. So, you know, if we take we take Northern Ireland as an example, there were more people killed on the roads in the 30-year period of the Troubles than there were as a result of the Troubles. So, so, so where is the threat that's justifying all this? Uh, and nobody really has an answer for that. But, but aside from that, the whole... Uh, notion of if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear. I think the fear aspect of this is really the fear of the authorities of us, and that's why yeah. this is being pushed. I think you're right, and I think that there's a huge amount of fear upon who's put on as a society that there is this level of threat constantly, but I'm not seeing it anywhere. I'm not experiencing it. Um, and I think inherently, the vast majority of human beings are peaceful people, and and I think, like you said, Patrick, I think the, the threat I can see that comes from, that we're threatened with as, as a population is, is probably coming from um, the sources that propose to look after us. Uh, and yes, we're manipulated. I got it. You, you just ding, 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 winner. Winner, mm-hmm. winner, Pippa King. You've won a holiday to, <laughs> what's it called, Thorsten Paradise on the fifth <laughs> element. Um, you got it in one Pippa right there. You just cracked it. <laughs> That's where the threat's coming from. So. Exactly, and this is this is why they, the authorities, um, are using this type of technology to, to to identify what's threatening them, which is us, basically. I can't ex- explain or see a reason for any other reason for using this type of technology, especially um, because it's so groundbreaking. But the, the thing is, we've paid for this from our taxes. We pay taxes to the UK government, and the UK government funnels the money down through the Department of Business Innovation and Schools, Skills into research councils, one of which is the Engineering, Physics, Sciences Research Council, which funded the development of this technology at Manchester Metropolitan University to the tune of £130,000, which in the grand scheme of things isn't very much. Then the Home Office and the Met Police and the Centre for the Protection of National Infrastructure, which we have here in the UK, uh, threw in another £1 million behind the development. Uh, and Radio Physics Solutions were incorporated in 2008. And they uh, also, through private investors and through the founders of the company, also funded this research at Manchester Met- Metropolitan University. And as a consequence, Anglo-Scientific who own and support uh, Radio Physics Solutions now have the in- own the intellectual pro- property for that particular device. And um, they are supporting to have a, an order book of over £1 million. But Anglo Scientific, who also uh, own Sequester, or funnel funds through investors through to Sequester, um, claim to that company will be worth £50 million by the year 2020. Now, that company was only set up in July 2014. It's two years old. And they haven't actually got the technology to run it in real time. But to, to, to forward project a, a turnover of £50 million by 2020 means that they've obviously got some serious interest coming in. And, the, and this is from investor websites that I've got this information from. This isn't actually coming from Anglo Scientific or Sequester. These these busy projections from uh, websites going to investors for money. So yeah, it's essentially that's essentially a software. It's essentially a software engineering company, uh, and they have one client uh, or maybe a couple of clients, which is a either the government uh, or a major security contractor who has a government contract, right? So this this isn't like. Um, yeah, well, it's not uh, consumer technology. Well, not yet, anyway. Not yet. Um, 
but I've seen the growth in or the, how the biometrics, how biometric technology has matured since 2014 up to present day and how accurate it can be. Um, they, they claim to be able to read iris scans from a distance, fingerprints from a distance. You don't have to interact with the technology in order to know that it's interacting with you. you which is why all the way through sort of campaigning against biometrics in schools, the one type of biometric technology that I really did think was more of a threat to us than any sort of fingerprint scanner or, or iris scanner was facial recognition because you don't know that's being used on you behind a CCTV network or, or a security camera or even on somebody's phone, you know. So that's, that's the thing that's, this is the ubiquity of, of it. And also, I think the thing that disturbs me as well is that the fact that schools are doing this without telling parents the Home Office are now running facial recognition on, on the National Custody Suite uh, database of images. They did this without telling anybody. They didn't have any discussion in Parliament. In fact, there was a House of Commons Select Committee, a Science and Technology Select Committee, that ran an inquiry into the current and future uses of biometric technology. Last, it was in November 2014. And both the Home Office and the Association of Police Chief Officers put a report in the inquiry, as did I, as did other ac academics and industry. And in both of their reports, they failed to mention that we were running facial recognition on the police national database. And it wasn't until the Biometrics Commissioner, which we had now have in the UK, gave evidence to the inquiry and basically outed the Home Office and the, and the police for using this technology. And the Home Office were had to resubmit their report, including the fact they were using facial recognition technology on the police national database which they had been using for less than a year, but minutes of meetings at the Association of Police Chief Officers that go back to 2012 say that, sort of detail that this has been in, it, we've been talking about this since then. So they, they've known they were going to use this technology, and they just withheld it from members of Parliament. The MPs sat on the, on the panel for the Select Committee were, were clearly not happy and uh, instructed the Home Office to do a report on the use of facial biometrics and any other biometrics they were using by January 2015. And um, as of now, they've still not submitted it. We've had a couple of MPs and members of the House of Lords ask the Home Office repeatedly, where's this report, where's the report? And they've just kicked the ball into the long grass. So this, this, this is a case of the security state or the security agency, if we'll call it the police or ACPO or whoever, are off over on the side doing their own thing. Yep. And, and, but, but hey, Mike, I thought we lived in a democratic society and these things don't happen in a democracy. This is why we bomb the Middle East into the Stone Ages, isn't it? To spread democracy. Uh, do we have secret police doing their own thing off to the side in a free and democratic society? Is that right? Uh, that seems to be what's going on, but uh, uh, facial recognition as well um, it's, is, forms the basis of identification with regard to passports in this country. Is That's correct, isn't it? Yes, and also the driving license database as well. But, but, you know, if we have a passport photograph taken or a driving license photograph taken, we have to sit full on and, you know, full face onto the camera. But the technology is that sophisticated now that they only need a partial face and they can also um, build up a, a, an image or, or identify you from an angle as well. So you don't need to have this sort of full-on face uh, image anymore in, in order for facial recognition technology to work. But I don't know as well, if you've noticed, Mike or Patrick, 
CCTV cameras used to be on big poles, didn't they, right up high, so that we couldn't get to them because there was a fair amount of vandalism sort of in the past two decades when they went up. Um, but now, if you've noticed, if you notice, they're coming down to about eight or nine foot. And when I have a friend that lives in Birmingham, and he'd noticed that all the um, CCTV in, in Birmingham New Street railway station had been lowered to about eight or nine foot and it had spikes put around the bottom of them so you know if you jumped up you wouldn't be able to hit the camera and that's because it is you, you can't actually facially recognize the top of somebody's head so you need to bring the cameras down so be vigilant because if you see the cameras coming down in your community or your area that may be the reason why because of facial recognition possibly being sort of thought about running behind it and it was only, I think it was Friday, I picked up something uh, from the Yorkshire Post, which is a broadsheet newspaper here in the north of England, talking about uh, West Yorkshire wanting to hook up the five sort of divisions that it has in their area, all have public space CCTV, but it doesn't talk to each other. So they're looking at um, hooking it all together and possibly running facial recognition behind it to track missing persons. Now, I think the article actually said missing persons can be tracked via facial recognition. Well, isn't the clue in the word tracked? Shouldn't, shouldn't it be missing persons can be found? <laughs> it's, just, it's tracking t technology. And again, this, this has been this, this, this feasibility study that West Yorkshire um, are doing, West Yorkshire Police are doing, has come from the Home Office, which has funded the research into the millimetre microwave technology as well. And at the moment, the uh, police commissioner, West Yorkshire Police Commissioner there, has, is looking at a project uh, of over £300,000 to work with two Leeds universities, the College of Policing and four of the police forces, to um, have this facial recognition as a proof of concept. But they're working on a project called, it's called More or Less, Authentic Information of Evidence-Based Predictive Patrol Plans. And this is where it's going. It's predictive policing. They've got uh, the, the system, uh, the facial recognition system doesn't all, all uh, just, just sort of recognize your face. It can also recognize suspicious behavior. So as a bulk, as a crowd, it can, it can recognize this crowd isn't operating as it should do. It's doing anomalous things. Or it can pick out specific individual human beings that the system will think they're not behaving as a normal human should, and it will alert the operators to the threat level. So and this is what we've got sort of coming down the line, and it's interesting because we have um, a smart city in the UK, which is Glasgow, first smart city um, that the UK has, and that, again, has had funding from the Department of Business Innovation and Skills, and they are running something at the University of Strathclyde called the Predictive Crime Project, and that's been uh, developed with our, our money uh, coming from uh, the Smart Cities Agenda, and they're also running a, um, a, a Master of Science degree on global sustainable cities. And th that particular degree is being funded by the EU. So the EU have um, a framework, Program 7, and part of it is called Strategies Towards Energy Performance and Urban Planning, Sustainable Living, funded by the EU, and um, this is happening in Glasgow, Ghent, Gothenburg and Riga, and the predictive crime system is also designed to run behind the CCTV system in Glasgow. So in Glasgow, you would possibly have a predictive crime um, artificial intelligence that would predict crime in groups of humans, in a human, in an area that wasn't lit very well or where a package had been left for a while. And then you've also got potentially the system called suspect search, which is 
supplied by a company called Nice Systems, and Nice Systems are an Israeli security system that are supplying Glasgow with that particular package. So it's, I can say, it, it, essentially for us, the street furniture doesn't change, but the programs running behind it are um, in their infancy, but I would suggest over the next few years become very sophisticated. That's a pre-crime, essentially, what you're talking about. We'll, we'll touch on that after the break, but, you know, I just wanted to, before we go to break, we're going to go to a commercial break in a second, but, you know, all the, all these programs and master's degrees that are being sponsored for all, you know, R&D, and, you know, they're developing the next uh, class of academics uh, for, you know, basically the technocracy. Where's the money for a peer-reviewed study on the long-term effects of millimeter microwave on humans? And, and this is exactly what I tell the security... Because they always, I get interrogated in airports. They say, why don't you want to go through it? They want to know. And I said, well, I'm disturbed by the lack of peer-reviewed studies on the effect, long-term effects of millimeter microwave uh, penetration on humans. Okay. And they just look at me like, huh? You know, but uh, actually the guy in Heathrow understood what I was talking about. The American guys, forget it. You know, there's, there's dumb as uh, chips uh, over there. But, um, you know, where's the money for that? Can they spare a few hundred thousand for that? Do you think? They won't spare the money for that <laughs> because it would be damning against the technology that they want to so, put down on us. So essentially we're human guinea pigs. Yes, I would say so. And it's been like that with the mobile phones and cell phones and the cell phone towers. Um, and also I would suggest the Wi-Fi. There's a big move um, to remove Wi-Fi from schools and nurseries. And I think in France um, you can't have Wi-Fi in, in nurseries. Yes, so it doesn't blow far. So I've seen that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and that's just sort of emerging now. But we've all been bathed in this for the past decade or so. And well, if you, know, you this is, if you work in any of those industries out, if you're listening out there, and you're in the the, the telecommunications industry or the uh, communications engineering industry, find your ethical and moral backbone, and go to your CEO or go to the board and say, you know, maybe we should sponsor some uh, long-term peer-reviewed studies put some money in the pockets of students to study that, okay? Something that will do some good for the general public instead of just rinsing, rinsing the coins in on short-term profits and who knows what damage and, and how many chromosomes you've shattered with your, with your cell tower mass or technology. You know, find your moral backbone if you're out there listening. Maybe it's time, finally, okay? You've all made enough money, have you? Or maybe they haven't, Mike. Maybe they haven't made enough money. I don't know. We'll talk about that after the break. We're going to take a short commercial break, uh, ACR station break, and we'll be right back after these messages with Pippa King and Mike Robinson. This is the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. Stay right there. Tune in Sundays at noon Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the Sunday Wire for three hours of action-packed talk radio on 21stCenturyWire.com and AlternateCurrentRadio.com. back in this segment and yes they, they, they are unbelievable they're absolutely and so I, the little tongue-in-cheek that was a from a band called emf um <clears throat> no pun intended well yeah pun intended 
Um, it is absolutely unbelievable uh, what's going on. And uh, we're, I'm, I'm here with my guest, uh, Pippa King, uh, who is uh, author and researcher and uh, the uh, founder. Her blog has is, is been around for a little while. It's excellent at biometrics in schools. And also she's a co-editor. Uh, along with, uh, I think, Steve Jolly and some other writers at State of Surveillance. There's links to that on our show page. And uh, Pip is here. I'm in studio with Mike Robinson at the UK column as well. And uh, before the break, guys, you know, I was saying, why, why, don't, why aren't there any peer-reviewed studies on the safety of uh, millimeter microwaves? And I'm going to add to that as well. You know, the active denial systems, Pippa, that you were talking about before, I've seen the demonstrations of those on uh, television and uh, where people get so, they feel the heat on their skin and uh, it forces them to sort of run in the other direction. And, uh, and they've also, I saw them do tests as well, people holding up mattresses uh, yeah. in, order, in order to shield the heat as well. And I'm looking, there's guys on the other end operating this stuff. They're, they're clearly paying these people to take part in these uh, tests or whatever. Um, I guess they're probably students or whatever. They're paying them 100 bucks or 200 bucks, And they're, they're literally cooking them. They're like, like chicken in a microwave. This is like directed uh, microwave energy. And act, and they, the the euphemisms that the what I call the militarized politically correct language, active denial system. This is like uh, this is in the same category as uh, collateral damage, uh, friendly fire, and all these other idiotic terms that are basically foisted upon us by the military industrial complex. Active denial systems. So who are they denying? They're denying the public from what walking. From what? Going down the street, coming at a, a a line of police officers that are beating the hell out of their neighbors, or something like this? Is this what they're actively denying the public? Uh, and you know, you have to pay attention to the language. The language is is beyond Orwellian. Uh, the, you know, the the people coming up with these terms, it's political correctness, but in a kind of a military technocratic sort of way. And it, you know, I'll, I'll let you way in here but i was just thinking pippa and mike you remember that film bill and ted's excellent adventure with uh, that's how keona reeves got his break um and george carlin was in it and the plot was that they they found a time machine or something it was a phone booth and it put them into the future and they're like wow this is really cool and i was just thinking we, we should re i'd remake that movie and call it uh, heinrich and muller's excellent adventure so imagine if the stasi could be transported to 2015 or 2020. And imagine if the Stasi had this kind of technology back then. And uh, they would just be, I mean, they'd be celebrating. It would be like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It'd be like hoverboards and back to the future. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a playground, isn't it? For technocracy and for nefarious, uh, um, you know, actors like this in history. This is the playground of their dreams, isn't it? it it's, it's interesting, Patrick, that uh, uh, on Radio 4, which of course is uh, one of the uh, main... Radio Prozac. Yes, one of the main BBC uh, radio networks in the UK, and they tend to discuss serious subjects. Of course, they don't really, because they, <laughs> they carry a very limited uh, range of subjects, but they were talking about this type of of question and and the question that was being asked was how do nations like Britain or the United States implement this type of uh, technology in a way which uh, is not perceived to be uh, dictatorial uh, 
extreme. You know, we've got to find, basically the, the argument was we've got to find that fine line between, uh, you know, knocking down uh, entire crowds of protesters with this type of uh, uh, equipment um, and not being perceived as being overly draconian. And that's, the, that's their fear. They want, to, they want to maintain a public uh, perception of, of, of being nice while they, while they cook people with the microwave. That's their biggest concern is to, is to find the balance so that, that, so that they don't appear to be too authoritarian. They're really talking about this. On the radio, aren't they? Uh, absolutely, yes. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. One, one of the reasons why uh, we had No2ID, which was a, a protest privacy group over here opposing the national ID cards, was because if we soften the next generation to the use of things like biometrics and CCTV in schools and surveillance in toilets, which they have cameras in toilets in schools, then, yes. then you've only got to wait maybe 15 or 20 years, and the next generation is compliant and uh, softened to the, to the use of that sort of surveillance system. So I would say uh, keep the fear porn and threat level high in, in the public perception, but also target the next generation because people like myself and other adults won't tolerate it. That is a very astute comment because uh, if, if anybody that, that saw the, uh, the early advertisements for Windows 10 on the, on the TV, um, their television advertisement was, was uh, children uh, of the age of sort of 5 to 10 playing with Windows 10 and the, the, the message that was being delivered by the advertisement was very clearly we don't care what the older generation thinks about the privacy implications of Windows 10 and all this kind of stuff because this lot, the children, are growing up with it and they won't have the same concerns so we don't care what you think. That was very clearly the message that was being delivered. The education sector, or that section of society, children are the most surveilled section of society. The amount of data uh, the US government and UK government collates on children, and this is a whole other show and I, I'm not the right person to speak about it too, and uh, I do know another parent that is, is absolutely vast. In the new United States they wanted to run a facial recognition technology behind the iPads to check that the ch child doing the homework, because nowadays homework is increasingly becoming an online thing that you do and they, they have the technology to sort of scan the child's face, see where the eyes are resting on the iPad, how long they're taking to do a math question or how long they're taking to turn a page on a book. And all this information is collated. In fact, there's one company called Newton's, spelt with a K, uh, and their CEO sort of got up and said, and did this speech, and it's on YouTube, you know, children are the most data-mined section of society, and we can tell whether a child is going to learn maths better on a Monday morning after an early night, or on Tuesday afternoon after a bacon sandwich, or on Thursday after sports. They can, and so what they're doing is they want to bring in an education system, and they're sort of selling it as, oh, we can educate, if anybody comes your child, uh, with an absolutely specific education program specific to that human being. So you can sort of see the move away from classrooms, which I think is an outdated way of education anyway, personally, um, and to a completely artificial intelligence, ICT, computer-based education system directed specifically at the child, which you could say is a good thing. But also the amount of data that that would give that private corporation so that the, over, you know, over a period of a few decades, the profiling capability you could have on the next generation is absolutely vast. For example, in Glasgow, we have AME, or AME, A-M-E-Y, 
the company who has a 35-year contract to um, deliver education in Glasgow. And, uh, I mean, this, this company, Amy, is, is a massive uh, global company that specializes in uh, city infrastructure and insurance. It's got its fingers in all sorts of different pies. And it certainly isn't in the education sector because it wants to do some good. It's in the education sector because, A, there's money in it, and, B, there's money in data. And these children and have no idea where the data that that company is collecting, what's going to happen to it in, in the future. Now, 35 years is a whole generation. They're going to have a whole generation's dietary, height, weight, attendance, educational ability, what they get like at sports day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on, on the next ge generation, basically. And that is increasingly happening more in the U.S. than it is in the U.K., but I would definitely say the next section of society, if you want to manipulate where, where society is going ain't get the children but even even then they we they have no idea of, about sort of the amount of data that's being collected on them and neither do the families so there's a really a great parent that i'm in touch with called jen and she tried to uh ask the school of where her daughter was going uh, under the data protection act she gave them the subject access request to see what sort of data they were collating on the child and the school wouldn't give it and neither would the department of education so it's not that easy to find out what sort of data is going where. And this is the whole sort of smart city thing, which is why they have to use artificial intelligence to predict the crimes, to track people across the cities, because human operators just couldn't crunch that amount of data. Sure, and, and that, so the, collecting all this data, trolls and trolls of data, okay, and it's getting, it's getting pumped through uh, various software programs and algorithms that pretend or purport to be able to predict or to model behavior. But let me tell you, okay, that you can have all the data in the world, but this whole thing that we're talking about, this whole equation is completely incompatible with the human experience as we once knew it. And, and that is the, that is here is what the fundamental problem of this technology and this industry where data is commodified to the point where it's like a currency, it's a commodity, and it's, it's got value. And, you know, it used to be databases had value. Now data has value. But, what, but for what, to what end? And, you know, you, you said that children are the most surveilled uh, section of society, and they know everything. They know where their eyes are on the iPad and how there's... Well, <laughs> so I just, I'm thinking to myself, Mike, so, but parents have no problem putting smartphones in their children's hand and so the kids are hiding in the toilets uh, during cla after class watching porn on their handheld devices at, at ages who knows how, how young, 9, 10, right? And so what's this doing to this generation? So th they've got them all locked down in the smart classrooms and the smart schools and the smart grids. But somehow the, the parents will arm that child with uh, one of the most idiotic devices at that age you can imagine which is a smartphone okay uh, and and in fact uh, parents increasingly scared for their children to go out without a smartphone uh, and uh, go and play at their friend's house without a smartphone because you've got to make sure you can find your child if they go missing and the smartphone is being sold as one mechanism for doing that um, and uh, you're absolutely right um, we're hearing all the time of uh, of children uh, not only watching and consuming pornographic videos and images via uh, smartphones at the ages of 
9, 10, 11. During school hours. During, well, at school, yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, But we're also hearing about uh, children uh, taking images of each other at ever younger ages and, uh, and obviously um, that... And distributing them and so uh, forth. Absolutely. So, so it just gets younger and younger and younger, and nothing seems to be stopping it. And and so, it, the younger generation are growing up with this, but there's this uh, middle generation uh, that are having younger children at the moment that that don't seem to understand the implications of what it is that they're they're giving to their child. Mm-hmm. Well, an old phone is is good enough, isn't it? You would have thought so. Yeah, I mean, I've got my little Nokia banana here, 30, 30 pounds at the at the market. Yeah, that's and it phones. It's got you can keep hundreds of numbers on here. Yeah, and you just dial. It's got redial. It's got everything, but it's not got the internet on it. I do think that the, the whole mobile phone concept has been really interesting, and we still call it a mobile phone, and it's not. It's a handheld computer tracking device that's giving off Wi-Fi, and it's. It was introduced to us by being handy as another form of communication by just a phone. Whether that was planned or not, I don't know. But certainly we also call them mobile phones or cell phones. We don't refer to them actually for what they actually are, which is a um, radio frequency tracking device, essentially, and uh, internet access sort of uh, tracker as well. So so here's here, and this is where the conversation's going. Okay. Now, uh, there's another... Uh, Randy Johnson at 21st Century has got an article, and Pippa, you, you have to go check this one out uh, when you get a spare minute after the show. It's called, the headline is Head Games. And uh, R- Randy was, uh, uh, you know, marinating this article for a long time before he published it, but he finally published it. I'm so glad he did because this, this story is something that everyone should take a look at. And my, my thought is this is basically uh, an AI system that can mimic the uh, facial movements of me sitting in front of a camera and superimpose that on anyone else's uh, CGI face. So I can impersonate Vladimir Putin or, or Obama or uh, my neighbor next door uh, with, with hot HD CGI in perfect real time, okay? And this is using some sort of R- RGB vector uh, to scan and track and, and so forth. So, you know, the potential here, I, I don't have to say this, Mike, for, for great deception. In other words, you can have a, someone like Gaddafi being mimicked on a fake broadcast and then all of a sudden they, they, they take a missile and he says something inflammatory, the computer image does anyway, then they blow his castle up and everyone says, well, he deserved it because, you know, so I think the world is just going to go up in flames with some of these technologies potentially, okay? But my question is this, okay? Why do we need to spend, as a society, billions of dollars developing facial mimicking, CGI, face hacking technology, basically, okay? And isn't there, aren't there other things that we need to divert resources to, research grants? You know, they, they seem to have a problem uh, dealing with cancer, uh, although they pumped, you know, billions and billions of dollars into so-called cancer research and haven't really got anywhere with it other than new uh, forms of chemotherapy, okay, or radiation therapy, okay. But here's, you know, we talk about, I'll, I'll stop this rant in a minute, but there is a singularity, Mike and Pip, and I want you both to comment on this. People talk about the singularity of AI, of artificial intelligence, but it isn't just... There, there is a social engineering agenda behind this, but there's also the commercial uh, 
the profit, the profiteering agenda, which Pippa has laid out with all of these companies we discussed in the first hour. But there's a point where the commercial interests meet the social engineering uh, machinations, and they, that's that's a kind of a singularity between profit and social engineering. At that point, we have a new society. We have Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. At that point, so have we? Are we reaching that singularity already, where the profiteering and the social engineering become one? Because right now they're still separate, but they're running on a parallel track. And I want you both to comment on that first, Pippa. Mm. <laughs> it's such a huge subject, isn't it? Is it the money, Pippa, or is it the need to control? I think it's the need to control. Um, I, there is a lot of money in it, but I think it's the need to control. I, I really do. I think on an energetic level, uh, there's a, a level of sex in society that really does fear us, I think. I, I can't think of any other explanation, really. Um, I mean, certainly... If they were doing it to develop technology and do use it in, say, earthquake scenarios, or you know, it's a tool like anything else. It can be used for good or bad. But that conversation isn't being had. It's not being had with our elected MPs. It, this this biometric use of the Home Office was withheld from that particular select committee. There's scant in the mainstream media about what's going on with these technologies, and it's only been hours tens of thousands of hours of research that I've done and other good people as well that have brought these uh, agendas to light. So I do think it is about control. And I think, I mean, I'm really grateful for you to have, for having me on the show and bringing up these topics because the more people that can be made aware of what's going on, hopefully the social conscience of, of the population will, will sort of say, no, is this the society that I want? I certainly don't want to live in a society where I'm constantly looked at and surveilled. And being profiled by a computer, basically. Um, and I don't want my kids or my grandchildren to grow up in that sort of society. So I guess that's why I do the amount of work that I do, because it, it's one of the basic human rights is to be private. That's why we wear clothes. That's why we shut the bathroom door. You know, that's why we draw our curtains. Um, which, it, if we're sort of changing the way that we operate as humans, I just wonder how long it will take us in generations to evolve to not care about that. We've cared about privacy as a as a human race ever since we started mm-hmm. and now that that sort of basic human right is going and and going ubiquitously as well and not in a very obvious sort of way and i think i don't want the next generation to wake up and think oh it's happened we can't do anything about it where were all the people where was the previous generation what did they think about it so hopefully we're leaving some sort of legacy and you know i would look, quite like to switch a lot of these systems off but um, I don't think that's going to happen, but I can certainly kick the can down the line as long as I can for in, enough of the people to start asking questions of the authorities, saying, is this right? Should we not be having a moral conversation about whether or not, okay, we might have the technology, but should we really use it? That's, that's where I'm coming from on this. Uh, okay, thanks, Pippa. And Mike, Mike, what are your thoughts on this? Um, uh, I think that it is about control. Uh, I think that where the profit aspect comes in, is that it is the profit which drives people to suspend their morality, suspend their uh, disbelief on what it is that they're actually doing. So they are driving forward an agenda which they are willing to do in, uh, in the name of profit and uh, and they don't uh, care too much about the consequences. So, so that's, that's, a good, that's a really good point, Mike. So the, the, when you introduce money into the equation, 
That's when you suspend your morality. This is where you suspend uh, your ethics. This is where you suspend your compassion for others. Just a little bit of money, you know, and, and spread it around a little bit. Spread a little bit here with your MPs, the lobbyists, uh, with the shareholders, with the board positions for the MPs or people in government, you know, sitting on the board of some of these companies when they get out of public life. Okay, a little bit of money. And you will suspend your morality for that period of time. And th- th- this is the grease. So, so you, that's what you're saying. This is kind of the money is the grease that gets this thing down the track. How, how many times have we heard he was just doing his job? Uh, and people are willing to do things as, because they're being paid to do things uh, for livelihood, for put food on the table to get the two holidays a year, whatever it is. They're willing to do things which... If the money aspect was taken away and there was an objective discussion about it, they probably wouldn't do. Yeah. And then, and, I agree. Yeah, and then you know, Pippa, where the, the the part that you're you're describing is down the road where there's no longer a debate about this, where where this is the norm, where having zero privacy, being tracked everywhere, being microwaved all the time, is the norm. And this is the new society, no expectations of anything in terms of uh, privacy or human rights or you know, freedom. There's no longer available, and then you're just basically, you don't have a choice. You get on there, you, you jump on that car, it takes you there. You get off, you go there, you come here, and that's it. There's no, there's no uh, choice in, the, in any of the equation. I think it's really important for people to be able to change society if they want. Um, you know, apartheid in South Africa or the Berlin Wall coming down. And I think with these technologies, that's going to make it very hard for the next generation to do so without a consequence to civil liberties. And I think that's the danger that once we have a particular government or system in place and these surveillance technologies are rolled out, then that takes away our ability to change, to physically change things, or it certainly significantly reduces it. And what are the dangers if, if like, in, um, I'll have Mike jump in here, because before the show we were talking about something that I, I Mike told me that I'm very disturbed about, which is uh, the statements made uh, by the global uh, parliamentary, uh, c- parliament of cities or city-states uh, who've made a statement. They're already, because they've trashed, the establishment have completely trashed uh, uh, representative democracy and any sort of progressive uh, social democratic structures. They've completely trashed it with corruption and have totally gone away from the public uh, needs and wants. And and so now they, they're going to present a new solution, uh, which is uh, a new network of city-states uh, that are stitched together in a global governance structure. Uh, and where you probably have a lot less representative uh, democracy, less rights than you did before. The problem, the reaction, the solution. Mike? Uh, yeah, because uh, what, what, this is something which is happening in parallel with what Pip is talking about. Pip is talking about smart cities and the smart grid and so on. But in parallel with that, there's a political uh, agenda uh, where we're seeing the idea of national national sovereignty and national democracy being replaced with the global parliament of mayors. So we're talking about global governments rather than national governance. Um, and uh, uh, and this is based around the city 
state, the city mayor, uh, the reg- and also regional unitary authorities in the UK, but this is happening uh, in other countries as well. Um, and, uh, and you're absolutely right. What we're having is a replacement uh, of representative democracy. You can criticize it. It's got its problems. Uh, but that is being replaced with a, a special kind of participatory democracy um, where the only people that get to participate participate are the people with vested interests, NGOs, uh, corporations, stakeholders, stakeholders, uh, and, and uh, the average guy in the street doesn't get to participate uh, and will very quickly find that his uh, opportunity to have any kind of representation has gone completely. So, so cities run by a uh, notionally elected mayor, but, uh, but in fact uh, being part of a global parliament of mayors rather than a national government. And a new network of, uh, uh, of bureaucratic oligarchs, basically. Totally, yes. And organi- in, in an organized crime syndicate, you know, that <laughs> you just look, it, it, mayor for life, uh, mayor for life. What, what, once, once you're at that, once you're at that point... Um, it's very difficult to come back from it. This is the point Pippa was making a second ago with, with it on the, from the technological point of view, but from a political point of view as well, it's practically impossible to come back from that. It, it, you can come back, Mike, but it takes, it's going to take a thousand years. Uh, and, and lots of deaths. And lots, yeah. And warring city-states. And we've just wound the clock back 2,000 years, essentially, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so that's progress for you. Wind the clock back to th- two thousand years. That's progress, folks. So, Pippa, <laughs> can you add anything to this? I, I haven't read the article that Mike was talking about, but I will go and have to take a look at that because I think it's the whole interconnectivity of smart cities, surveillance, uh, and and the political picture is is certainly looking. Um, exactly as Mike said, and it is going to be now an impossible, or it will take generations to get back from and i just hope that the vast majority of people have some sort of conscience awareness and this you know sort of messages that mike and yourself and and myself are putting out uh, are sort of going to touch a nerve somewhere and and just having all the people sort of question it because at the moment we're, we're all too busy plugged into um coronation street or you know reading national newspapers that are full of rubbish and not actually getting to grips with where we're going as a human race. Yeah. Well, a lot of people are plugged into alcohol. I can tell you that. I <laughs> strolled down the parade last night. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people are plugged into that one. There's nothing wrong with a drink now and again, mind you. Everybody enjoys that. But, uh, but uh, Pippa, you dropped a, a, a clip from Abu Dhabi uh, in your article, uh, which is up there at 21st Century Wire. And I think this was Safe Cities. And uh, we'll try to. I'll try this audio clip again. Now you'll be able to. What 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 I'm playing you here is basically the uh, Abu Dhabi uh, law enforcement uh, surveillance grid tracking a car uh, as it's going uh, through the roads. And so this is all done in real time. This is basically the future model. And this is a city state, by the way, Abu Dhabi. Just uh, throwing that in there. The, the, that is the model, by the way, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. That's the future basically. So everything there is smart and sustainable. Okay. So I'm going to play this real, real, real uh, quickly. Let's see if this, this clip works. So hold on. Here we go. Available unit CST is reporting 
Black Lucas vehicle on Highway 12 westbound. Be advised, driver is wanted on multiple charges. Vehicle is speeding. Might be possible 422. Adam 99 for dispatch outbound on E12. You got more information on the vehicle. Vehicle is blue, McClare, late model. 104, I'm clear. Copy, plate is on system. Suspect just passed by 20, speeding on southbound. Opposite direction. No immediate turn possible. On dispatch, this is one at the three air patrol across the section eight. I might get on vision for you. Copy one after three. Suspect is last reported on section seven zero nine. Ten four, stand by. Okay, I got him. He's still speeding. Speed is somewhat about 200, 210. This guy is headed straight towards downtown. One SO three. Okay, so Pippa, my the point being here that. Uh, you don't Transition need. Uh, you don't need uh, people to operate the system. Eventually, and I'll, Mike and Pippa, you don't actually need people. We're getting to the point where the computer will be able to model any of these scenarios and do the, commu- the, the communication between systems. So basically, if you're speeding, <laughs> if you're in a car that's on the grid and you're speeding, you will get a ticket in the mail. But we do have smart motorways being installed in this country at the moment, which involves. I think it's 125 kilohertz of radio frequency beamed out every 100 meters, and you've got black boxes in cars now being encouraged by insurance companies selling to young drivers that have just passed their test because it will bring their insurance down. And apparently these black boxes will tell you in the car that you're speeding. If you're in a speed limit that's only 30, it will sort of inform you that you're going over the speed limit. So it's all, if, if I suppose like Sequest are connecting all the CCTV systems Everything's in place individually. It's just a question of connecting the dots. And when you sort of go to that level, it, it, it's, you know, it's sort of, I'm speechless, you know. I don't know what to say, you know. It's, it's, but I think certainly we've got the capability of getting there to that, to that point, but I, I certainly don't think we should as a society. This is like the Terminator. You know, you watch these science fiction films and that sort of back and forth uh, between uh, either people or people and computers or computers and computers. It's basically... Um, the sort of stuff that we'd watch in science fiction 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And now it's like, hey, this is really cool. Uh, that's right. And, uh, I mean, this, this, these black boxes that Pippa's talking about, of course, they're not, they're not just warning you that you're breaking a speed limit. Uh, they're passing that information back to the insurance company, and the insurance companies are profiling people's driving uh, in a way that, that was absolutely impossible before they, they profiled your driving in the past on the basis of how many accidents you had, how many speeding tickets you got. Now they're able to process, now they're able to work out exactly profile your driving, exactly how you drive in this street in a built up area, how you drive in the, on the motorway, uh, intercity and so on. And they build a picture of you, which is, um, of unbelievable detail. And uh, who, who's uh, providing the backbone to some of this technology, whether it be facial recognition or this handshaking uh, technology? It's uh, one of them is Cisco, Cisco Systems. Um, they're, in terms of facial recognition, they're absolutely a pioneer in this. I remember when the London Olympics uh, were going in 2012. I don't know if either of you uh, saw this, but Cisco ran a huge uh, uh, billboard campaign. Uh, it shows people's faces and it has kind of had some really sharp taglines like, uh, uh, no, uh, or tracking you or, um, you know, recognize, recognize, or be recognized. I don't know what, what exactly it was. I took some photos of it at the time, but, um, this is some powerful technology, Mike, uh, coming out of Silicon Valley, which is really providing the, the, the hardware 
um, infrastructure backbone uh, for a lot of the stuff that's rolling out. Uh, I mean, frankly, none of this, none of this could be done without Cisco. They are providing the backbone for the Internet of Things. All connectivity is going to be through Cisco's uh, infrastructure, um, and they are right at the top of the pyramid as far as this this uh, uh, technology is concerned. Um, and uh, but I mean, it's not. They are providing a lot of the driving force for it. They're running conferences and all the rest. Uh, but so many. Small companies uh, wanting to be the next Cisco are just running with this agenda as fast as they can possibly uh, get down the road. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing that this is one of the big growth areas in industry with all the things, uh, problems that we have. Um, we have whole whole sector of the technology industry that's just obsessed with surveillance and technocracy. And it's unbelievable. Because they're only thinking about the money and that is the next big Part that's available to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Pippo, we're going to uh, we're going to wrap up this segment. But um, yeah, before we go, is there any anything else that you're looking at right now? We've got about three minutes left uh, before the top of the hour. But is there anything else you're looking at or working on that? Uh, and also, any events that you might be speaking at uh, in the next couple of months? I I, I think I'm going to be speaking with you at one event in July. But uh, let us know what, what what's happening with you. Yes, we're both in Glastonbury, aren't we? Uh, speaking at the symposium there. I think it's the weekend of the 23rd of July, and I'm doing a talk in Birmingham uh, in September. That date hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, and, but I'm, at the moment, I'm waiting for some freedom of information requests to come back from the Met Police about sequester and radio physics solutions, millimeter microwave technology. So when I get um, that sort of information back, I'll, I'll update on. Uh, where we are with that. And I've also got a freedom of information request in with the Home Office to ask them where this report is that they should have delivered to Parliament in January 15, which they haven't done yet. And I guess it's just sort of keeping an eye on watching the watches, isn't it? <laughs> um, and it, it would, uh, you know, no information. I, mean, I, I don't know if I'll get my freedom of information request answered because I guess the radio physics solutions and the sequester could be classed as national security and they may not answer me on, on how we're being surveilled but even that's an answer and I, I can write a report on, on what's happening with that um, and hopefully if they're not going to answer us I can maybe get some uh, sympathetic MPs asking some questions in Parliament I mean, we do have a democracy whether it's uh, working very well is another question but it's what we've got and we've got to use it and um, hopefully that's what will be happening in the next few months Mm. Well, we uh, got links to uh, Pippa with her work up there at the show page, A State of Surveillance, and also uh, a syndication of uh, that story up at 21st Century Wire right now. I, I do encourage people to go and read this and to log this information in your brain and know, uh, like Pippa said earlier, uh, we paid for it and it's being used uh, against us or on us. Uh, so this is all stuff that's really been paid for by you and me uh, unknowingly. Uh, so it's in your interest to know about it. And uh, I wanted to thank you, Pippa, for your hard work uh, on this, which is a very important subject. And uh, we hope that more people will become interested in it. And we want to see more Pippa Kings uh, appearing uh, on the scene. Absolutely, parents and everybody else. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate um, the time and, and hopefully... It'll inspire some other people to do some research and ask some questions as well. I think so. And, and everybody can, Mike, and this is the thing. Everybody can 
uh, become active on this subject. The information is absolutely out there. And uh, you look at what Pippa's done and the people that she has been concerned, other parents as well, they got a clause, uh, you know, forced into legislation or at least acknowledged uh, about their concerns. And, it, you know, it's there on paper. And so from that point of view, Mike, uh, you know, I think it's, it is worth it to get involved in this sort of activity. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, Patrick. It's not about what people can do. It's, it's what, not about what people must do because uh, unless there are a thousand more pippers out there um, putting pressure on, then we're on, a, we're on a slippery slope that can't be got off. So we need, we need uh, a lot more people to get involved in actually starting to put pressure on, asking the right questions. Why are we doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Pippa King. Thank you. Take care. Thank you very much, Patrick. You too. And we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. We're going to take a short station ID break with the alternate current radio network. Uh, stay right there. This is the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back. 